So before the podcast begins, I just want to quickly explain how it would work in terms of splitting up the assignment. So I'm going to have this little sound. between the sections of the assignment. So we'll have section one, the introduction, the description, and then the sound again. And then you'll have um, part two, and then the sound again, and then part three, so that you'll really easily be able to just hear exactly when those parts are being split up. So you're welcome, enjoy. Hello and welcome to my EDF 2152 podcast by me, Finn Anderson. Um, my student number is 29724090. Shout out to Kelly, my tutor. She's the best um, and she's very passionate. She's wonderful. Um, so I decided to use a podcast today just because, you know, why not? I haven't really used them um, for a lot of assignments, um, but I'm keen to try it out. So here we go. Um so today in this podcast, I'm going to be unpacking a scenario that has a heap of diverse logicies. I'm going to be talking about who's involved, why I chose it, and some artifacts that can be found in that scenario. Um, then I'll be analyzing the scenario using some theoretical lenses to get some different perspectives going, and then I'll further discuss the literacies taking place as well. And then finally, I'm going to expand on the pedagogical potential of sociocultural literacy practices in a classroom. I had to write that one down because it's a little bit wordy <laughs> and why they're important. So um, I'm doing a restaurant for my um, scenario. I just thought that was that was a good one to do. Um, I've worked in hospo- hospitality for many years and I felt pretty comfortable exploring it, um, you know, through a different lens, through a more literacy-focused lens because um, a lot of the time I'm just in restaurants working and I'm really only thinking about food and ordering and now I have the opportunity to think about it in sort of a different light. So, um, and the more I thought about it, the more literacy practices actually came to my head. So I thought, you know what, I'll give restaurants a go. So you may be wondering, Finn, what is a restaurant? Well, I'll tell you. A restaurant is a place where, you know, people can come together, catch up and have a drink, or, you know, something stronger, <laughs> depending on the day. Um, there's a heap of food that you, a customer can order from the menu and there's generally a breakfast menu and then you can get like a lunch and dinner menu that are generally the same. So the fun thing that I like about restaurants is that the energy of the restaurant can change depending on the time of day. So mornings on middays, sorry, mornings and middays on weekdays, wow, there's a lot of Ws, um, are quite slow, Right. But then lunch picks up and then dinner is like, eh, it's okay, right? That's that's your weekdays. But Thursday to Saturday nights, I can tell you, are insane. They are so, so, so hectic and busy. So it's just crazy how 20 minutes difference between like late afternoon to dinner, you can just fill up a 120-person restaurant in 20 minutes. It's insane. So I really liked it because of that. Um, you know, sometimes it's nice just to come to a restaurant and have a coffee with a friend, sit and chat for a few hours. Other times you're just running in to grab lunch and your work break. So the beauty of restaurants is that they are ever-changing in their energy, which makes them really interesting to analyze. So some of the participants that I identified in a restaurant is the customers, the wait staff, the bar staff, the chefs. So as a customer, you'll come in, you'll get a table, get served, have a menu, maybe some water and some other drinks order your food with um, a wait staff member 
wait for your food and drinks and then you pay and then you leave. That's pretty much what the customer does. Um, and then your wait staff and your bar staff, obviously the people that are hired to work there to directly um, interact with customers. So your wait staff are the people taking orders, are the people running around, bringing you drinks, bringing you the food. Um, same with the bar staff, but they do the drink aspect of it. And then your chefs are obviously behind the scene, cooking all your food for you, making sure it's all delicious. And finally, just some artifacts um, inside of a restaurant that you might find. Number one, I sort of thought about was obviously menus. That's a really good literacy. Um, it's a mode of literacy right there is, is reading a menu and understanding menus. And it's also got your um, your money and how much things cost. So you're using a lot of different practices there to try, sort of dissect a menu. Um, you also got your music going in restaurants, which I think a lot of people don't really think about. It's like sort of the mood music. You know, if you walk into a, into a pokey little cafe and they're playing rock music, you're probably not going to feel very comfortable because those two aesthetics kind of crash. Whereas if you're feeling like little gentle lo-fi kind of music, I don't know if you know what that is. Lo-fi is kind of like chill hip hop with like just like synth and beats and stuff with no sort of words. I use it to study. It's quite nice. So if you walk into a pokey little cafe with like kind of lo-fi music, you're going to feel really relaxed. So in a restaurant, they tend to do sort of chill, you know, calm music that's sort of on in the background just to like sort of set the scene, set the area. Other sort of artifacts you might find is signage. So potentially um, where people pay, you might have like a pay here sign. You could have a sign above where the toilets are. You could have a sign for entrance and exits. There's a heap of different signs you could have. Um, Colouring books for kids as well and pencils and pens. Um, you could have a bell for service at the front desk. I'm not sure if you might have a receptionist. That'd be a pretty fancy restaurant, but you know, it exists. Um, or even places like Grilled. It's like a burger joint. It's a few in Australia and especially in Melbourne. And they have little sticks on the table. So one side of the stick is painted red and one side of the stick is painted white. And if you have the white side facing up, it means you're all good. And if you flip it the other way and have the red side facing up, it, ne- it means that you need help, which is really cool so that's like it's a regular stick that contains a lot of meaning inside of it because of the context so that's what sort of what the artifacts are that I'm talking about here the items that contain meaning making and that's really cool so like music signs menus coloring books bells for service and that stick um yeah so that's sort of some artifacts you might find in a restaurant as well All right, I'm going to move into a bit of a more analysis perspective sort of part. And my first um, lens that I'm going to be looking through to analyze restaurants is multimodality. So what is multimodality? Well, multimodality and multiliteracies are discussed by a lot of researchers, um, but I specifically like Maureen O'Rourke's, O'Rourke's? I'm not really sure how to say her name, O'Rourke's work in 2005, and she explores this topic. Um, she writes about how multiliteracies apply in 21st century schools, which is obviously very relevant because we're moving towards the 21st century, prioritizing 21st century skills in a classroom. She writes about how we communicate linguistically, orally, spatially, visually, um, and through gesture in multiple modes. And these make up the modes of communication and meaning making. So there's the idea of more traditional literacies, which place an emphasis and priority on like written, read and spoken modes of communication. And that's now shifted through time to more diverse literacies, 
um, I suppose, when the internet and digital media morphed into what it is today. Sort of an ever-growing, changing, shifting and adapting digital space with unlimited access to the world's information with just a few key clicks. It's pretty insane. <laughs> you know, um, students are now focusing more on online safety and how to navigate online spaces, how to Google things. You know, gone are the days of scouring books and encyclopedias for information and now we can just, you know, Google it. So you're in a restaurant. Where can we see multimodality? Well, to begin with, the most obvious one, I think, um, is probably the linguistic mode. Um, it's an incredibly important in a restaurant to know how to communicate appropriately, um, either between a customer and a worker or even between workers, the worker and the chef. Um, this can appear when reading a menu, reading signage, um, you know, communicating an order, any of those things, linguistic um, the linguistic mode is really important in restaurants. Um, also, oral mode of communication, um, listening, uh, maybe like when repeating an order back to a customer, um, the customer listening to make sure it's correct. Um, you can have a coworker who, sorry, like a worker working there, uh, working on the pass, so with the food and the chefs, and they're listening for the order call out so they can take the food to the right tables, listening to when the chef tells you the right table. So orally is also really important. I think it's that um, more of that emphasis on active listening. So having that um, the active role in terms of listening and then responding. Um, you've also got gestural mode, which is perhaps the most unseen, maybe, um, but highly used mode of communication in a restaurant setting. You might not it might not be as obvious as the um, oral and linguistic uh, sort of modes, but I think it's also really important. So you might see white staff using nonverbal cues with customers um, in a noisy restaurant to indicate maybe a drink, you know, having like a, an imaginary cup in their hand and drinking or a thumbs up with sort of an inquisitive look to do a meal check. Um, so that's what you might see between with like white staff and customer or you might even see a customer, you know, indicate writing on their hand for the bill, um, you know, with their left hand out and their right hand sort of writing as in like bill from across the restaurant. You might even see, quote unquote, the look between two co-workers um, that white staff know means, oh my God, this customer is a nightmare to deal with. <laughs> it happens. Some people can be very picky, very rude or just straight up difficult. Um, so yeah, multimodality happens heaps in restaurants as well. Okay, so the next lens I'm going to be using to dissect restaurants is the diverse learners, diverse people, diverse culture lens. Um, so obviously for a classroom, <clears throat> excuse me, we're looking at diverse learners, but maybe in a restaurant environment, we're looking at diverse groups of people. Now, diverse groups of people, diverse students can include people from um, different racial, ethnic, culture or linguistic groups uh, or communities. And generally they are in lower socioeconomic areas just through um, research. So this might look like um, in terms of restaurants, um, restaurants being owned by different cultural groups, um, for example, like an Indian restaurant being owned by an Indian family and the restaurant's been passed down through generation to generation. Same could go for an Italian restaurant or anything like that. Um, you could have menus in different languages or the language, sorry, you could see menus uh, in different languages. So you could have a Japanese restaurant and they have a Japanese menu and they have an English menu and, you know, menus in other languages to make it a bit more inclusive. Or you could also be looking at the language spoken between the workers, especially 
there's a fa- my favorite Vietnamese shop. Um, it's it's amazing. It's in um, Doveton. They all they're all Vietnamese, all the workers, and they are so lovely and beautiful. And their menu is in Vietnamese and English. So there's a real life example for you. Um, also, Jim Cummins also talks about the importance of maintaining first language. So I think that having a restaurant where uh, you're going there and you're hearing your, you know, your first language, if you're coming over here as a migrant or an, um, an immigrant and visiting a restaurant and hearing them speak your language, you're going to feel a lot more connected to that place and you're probably more likely to come back. Um, an interesting thing I was thinking is um, why Auslan, so Australian Sign Language, isn't essential for all restaurant workers because that's a, a mode of communication, a form of communication that comes under diverse learners and diverse uh, groups of people, but it's sort of overlooked a little bit more. So I know from experience, um, even swim teaching personally and having deaf students, even learning how to say hello and sign your name can make the world of a difference. So I think that should probably be something that's a bit more prioritised in, you know, hospitality and things like that where you're constantly uh, interacting with people. So diversity in restaurants could also, like I said, looking at menus in different languages, um, you know, doing this online and on paper in store would be really helpful. Also hiring multilingual people or multicultural people, people that aren't just, you know, white Australian who came over from Europe, you know, actually hiring a wide range of people to work uh, at your restaurant so that people coming in may see like their culture represented and therefore can better like better connect with the place also celebrating the culture of the workers there if you are a worker there and you are Sri Lankan and you bring in a meal maybe that Sri Lankan meal that you made at home might end up as a chef special because the chefs really enjoyed it and you're a Sri Lankan person working there so that's pretty cool And then that also goes on to, you know, having a wide range of food items on the menu from different cultures, branching out from, you know, just standardized American kind of food or classic Aussie palmy or some burgers or pizza, you know, actually branching out. And a lot of restaurants do do that um, as chef specials, you know, just temporary things on the menu of things they want to get rid of. And they just like introduce a new meal for a week or two until that product is out. Whereas that should be something more permanent on the menu so that when people are coming in, those diverse people are feeling more connected to the place. So, yeah. Also just an afterthought uh, that I'm adding in now (laughs) a little bit after is um, with the languages on the menu, adding in the local indigenous language of the area or even key words like for fish, you could change it to the, um, you know, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander word, depending on your area. But for here, it, it would be the Aboriginal word, fish. I think that would be a pretty cool idea. for. And then you're incorporating, you know, Indigenous perspectives into your restaurant. And it really wouldn't be that hard to do. Uh, or even signage for bathrooms. You could do, you know, the English and then the Indigenous one as well. Because I think it's all about desensitising people to the shock of you having Indigenous language. You know, it's part of our Australian culture is our rich, incredible Indigenous history and incorporating that in a more seamless and just casual way 
might open up people's perspectives on, you know, what we're sort of including in our uh, in our society to, you know, honour our history as uh, as white Australians. Also, apologies for just rambling about maybe unnecessary things and treating this as a legitimate podcast, Kelly. I could talk about restaurants all day and I really enjoy working at restaurants. So if I get a bit off tap or if things just don't seem relevant, just I'm just I'm just passionate. <laughs> Next up, I'm going to be talking about uh, the pedagogy. Uh, so the skills that you can learn uh, and use in a restaurant and how they apply to a classroom setting. So the first one that is probably the most obvious is reading a menu, which involves some basic reading skills, uh, which is probably different to what most traditional writing skills are learned in schools, where you're generally reading essays or um, following a sequence like a recipe. Uh, I remember in primary school, we did write recipes and persuasive pieces and letters even formatting emails in early high school, whereas reading a menu is sort of something that's just a cultural given that you sort of just know how to do or you learn from your parents. Uh, something also on the menus that to learn is, you know, uh, different abbreviations like GF, V, VG, VGO. So there would be gluten-free, vegetarian, vegan, and then vegan option which are kind of important to know as well. So you have a little key at the bottom or the top or somewhere on the menu to indicate what kind of uh, adjustments can be made to the menu to cater for you. And it's important to have that skill to, you know, understand understand what you can and can't eat. And that can sort of transfer it into the classroom by using abbreviations for other words and also understanding how keys work, maybe using that to create a map in a classroom. And having that key of, okay, this means this. So that could be like, you know, an X equals treasure. That's the kind of thing. It, it sets students up to have that idea of how that works. The next thing uh, that can link, I think, to a classroom setting is understanding how ordering works. So that's a special kind of communication that you really only see in restaurants and I guess in hospitality because it's not a drawn out conversation you're having with a worker it is uh like a really direct quick interaction that you have it's yep can I get margarita pizza and a glass of coke you know anything else no thanks all good no worries won't be long and that's your interaction whereas in a lot of other places you know uh even like retail you wanted to get a relationship with that person so you can sell them more items that's more specifically uh retail versus hospitality where it's just quick and direct you want to be as quick as possible so people can get their food so you could investigate that in a classroom as to different modes of communication and what is appropriate in different social contexts you know would you speak that way uh you know asking your teacher for something if you're trying to really suck up to them you know oh can we please watch a movie on friday you want to be as persuasive as you can, whereas in a restaurant, you don't want to be persuasive. You just want to be direct. So that you could um, definitely unpack modes of communication and social context and things like that in the classroom. The next one is looking sort of at patterns with, through table numbers. 
So in a lot of restaurants, you have table numbers um, in a specific order. So I worked in a restaurant in Berwick for a year and a half and our table numbers were all set up quite strangely, I think, to customers, but for us it made complete sense. And it could be interesting for uh, students coming in to sort of look at the patterns of how the tables are set up and then sort of investigate that and what the workers have to have in their head, sort of like a map of the place and how that pattern works. So you could go further into pattern work in a, in a classroom. The next one is estimating wait time for food. There is nothing worse than walking into a place hungry and it's quite busy and, you know, you order a nice lasagna and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and each meal that comes out, you think it's yours and it's not. You're going to be working on your wait time, which does link to the curriculum. I found a link for it, um, which is VCMMG290 for you, Kelly, which is solving problems involving duration, um, including 12 and 24 hour time. So could be estimating, um, you know, how long it might be and then you know, splitting that up into, okay, well, it's going to take a few minutes for the worker to go back and put it through to order it. And then the chef has to get that ticket and then they have to make it and then they have to plate it up and then it comes out to you and accounting for all those times. So you could bring that straight into a classroom and work on time, you know, get students to maybe unpack their mornings and create a morning schedule of what they do so they can better Um, split up their time even in a classroom or at home could link straight to homework you know splitting up time in homework or how much time you're spending on technology there's a heap of links for for time and it's also abstract thought because you're not look you're not thinking about something concrete you're thinking about something abstract which is which is you know which is good we want some abstract thought happening as well Um, um some other links to maths is calculating estimating uh, or splitting a bill between several people, which is obviously using division. And that also (laughs) links to the curriculum, which is VCMNA209, which is um, selecting and applying efficient mental and written strategies and appropriate digital technologies to solve problems, including all four operations with whole numbers and also making estimates. So obviously that directly links to, you know, getting a bill and being able to split it between people in your head uh, using operations. Okay, well, if you got this and this, then that's using addition and I have this total. Okay, hang on. No, actually you got that minusing. You could even times it. You know, I got two of this item, double it. So it really does link to a lot of the operations and then that link to to pedagogy is so, <laughs> so obvious, you know, maths in classrooms, uh, especially in like grade five, six, where you're doing a lot more mixed, um, like bod mass, you're doing like, what are they called? Using mixed operations. There you go. That's the one you're using. Yeah. A lot of mixed operations. So, you know, calculating bills and splitting bills is definitely a really way to do really good way to do that. Not so much in Australia, but in America, um, calculating tips is a massive thing. So you, you're tipping every bill because, you know, the workers are paid nothing. <laughs> That's why we're like, I'm happy to live in Australia and work in hospitality for that reason. Um, but if we were living in America and had the um, Victorian curriculum, then that would link to VCMNA218, which is investigating and calculating percentage discounts. 
um, with and without digital technologies. So students are then able to look at a bill and then calculate, okay, well, I'm going I'm to tip 5% and then finding out 5% of that total bill and then adding that on. So again, you're looking at other operations there as well. Um, and then we can also, something that maybe doesn't directly link to the curriculum, but definitely links to psychology, um, <clears throat> which I think would help students become better learners in general is, and I'm looking at is this, uh, both of these next two examples as a worker. I'm working in a restaurant. You want to be able to quickly dissect information and remember it. So if someone comes up to you and goes, hey, can I just get a large extra hot skinny cap, extra frame, no chalk on top? In my head, a hospitality head, I know exactly what she said. And that's totally fine. But a new worker might be super confused. Like, whoa, 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 what? She'll have to repeat large, extra hot, skinny cappuccino, extra foam, and extra chocolate on top. That's a pretty big order. That's a pretty, that's a pretty complex coffee order. So you want to sort of learn that skill of quickly dissecting that information, keeping it in your short-term memory, and then being able to type that in on your system. Again, with the memory, um, you know, pushing your short-term memory and its capabilities because really once you get something in your head, it's only going to stay in your short-term memory for 18 to 30 seconds, um, especially like oral information. Oh, sorry, auditory information, apologies. Auditory information about 18 to 30 seconds. So especially like myself who's worked in hospitality, when you're, you know, taking out a drink, three different people call you from three different tables and you're running a section of 80 people and you've already got a million things going in your head and you have to remember that you have to go and get sauce for this table. This person wants another fork and this kid wants a marshmallow as well as remembering to bring out the drinks and check on the food. It's it's a million things, you know, and you're also really pushing your short-term memory on what you're actually capable of remembering, which is really hard, especially like I, I understand as a, as a hospitality worker, you know, I'll go home and just dream about all the things that I forgot or just dream that I'm at work and it's honestly it's probably more like a nightmare because I feel like I get up and work and then I go to sleep and I'm working in my sleep and then I wake up and I have to do it again by the end of the day I'm just I'm just knackered so anyway that's again apologies for rambling but that's the links to uh to pedagogy So there we go. That's that's everything. <laughs> we've we've hit all of the things on the criteria. We've we've talked about the what it is. It's a restaurant. We've talked about the purpose, the participants, and the artifacts. And then we looked at it through two different theoretical lenses. We looked at it through multimodality and also diverse learners and diverse people in general. And then I also went through and talked about how learning in a restaurant explicitly links to pedagogical potential in a classroom and why that's good also making some curriculum links we're done that was really fun thank you for tuning in I appreciate it um I'm really tempted to make legitimate podcast now this has been really fun so thank you so much for listening um I hope you have a wonderful day and maybe I'll see you on another podcast somewhere in the future. <laughs> Bye.